through 11. If I find it, I'll let you know. I'm getting close. Starting in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judah heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began to explain it to them in order. It was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, While God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on him, just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave, this, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. Father God, help us to do everything we can never to get in your way. Help us, Father, to recognize what you are granting in this world, Father God. The greatest of all gifts you could ever give a human being is to grant them repentance that leads to life. I thank you for 28 years ago when I walked into that church, not looking for you, God. You came looking for me, and on that day you granted me a repentant heart to look inside myself and say, I too am a sinner in need of a Savior. Father God, I thank you for granting repentance, Father God. Let us never take it for granted that gift of repentance that you gave us, Father God. Let every man and woman in this church that can hear my voice and that can read the text recognize that the repentance they have has been granted to us all by free grace, Father. You're a wonderful and great God. I ask you to breathe upon the text, God. Somehow, some way, let me articulate the spiritual truths that are taking place here, Father God. Encourage our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is granted. As we've been going through the book of Acts, chapter 10, now into 11, verses 1 to 18, as I said before, this has been one long play with five acts to it. We are now into the last act of this play. 
that ties everything up neatly and giving God all the glory. And that should be the end of everything. Giving God all the glory. The end of our life should give God all the glory. The end of our day should give God all the glory. The end of a sermon. At the end of every sermon, God should get all the glory. At the end of singing, God should get all the glory. Whatever we do, even if we work, eat, drink, play, Paul says, whatever you do, do to what? If you and I do that, you will live an abundant life. Understand something. If we wake up to give God glory in every little thing we do, even to give someone a drink of water, Jesus says, you've done it unto me. If we have that perception, that biblical God-given perception on how to live life, you will live a full and abundant life. There is no reason to wake up and say, why am I here for? When we do everything to the glory of God, we are sustained on the inside. As Jesus says, my food you do not know of, for it is I have come to do the will of God and to see it through. When it comes to preaching a sermon, whether it's me or John or any preacher, we're always being sensitive to the application along the way. How am I going to take a text that's 2,000 years old, spoken in Greek or Aramaic, to people of a different culture, a different time, that I cannot in any way relate to? How do I take this text as a, a pastor and make it relevant to us today? It's important that that is our job. It's, it's my job. It's John's job. Any minister, any pastor, anybody preaches, teaches, has to make the word relevant. Because it's always relevant. Because it speaks about spiritual truth. Spiritual truth, if, you're not, if you didn't notice, doesn't change. Right. It's never outdated. Right. It's never archaic. If it's never for other people, guess what? It's always fresh. It's always new. And it's always powerful. And it's always needed. Spiritual truth is always needed. But sometimes you get to a text and you say, you know something? I wish there was more application. I wish it was more easily seeable. Sometimes the greatest application to any text of scripture is to sit back and just say, God is awesome. I don't need to see God, what are you doing for me? How does it relate to my little problem? You know, fix my life today. Many times as Christians, we come to church and say, God, fix my, what's your problem today? What are you here today? God, we all have something, right? And don't you want to hear the word touch that very specific problem? And you can leave here saying, say, God spoke to me. I got my word. But sometimes you don't hear that. But there's something even greater you and I need. And we need to leave a church building sometimes just in awe of God. That's it. You know what happens on those days? Brian Martin becomes very small. That's a good thing. We become very insignificant. That's even a better thing. All of a sudden I realize, you know something? I'm not all that important. Or my problems aren't all that. Who doesn't need that here? I need that. And you see, you don't see John or myself or other preachers when you hear me preaching it, but you don't see me on Monday or Tuesday when I'm home on my knees crying because I see where I fell. And I see how God is showing me first before I can come up here. And I have to ask God for strength, sometimes for forgiveness and mercy. 
Today is a servant that says, step back and see how awesome God is. But the one thing I don't want to miss and state is at the beginning that God's actions on behalf of sinful men need to put awe in our hearts. As we read here, this council that was, was uh, interrogating Peter when they heard what had happened, they stepped back and a silence fell on them. And they were in awe and they were amazed at what took place in other people's lives. Isn't that a novel idea? Wouldn't it be nice just to sit back and see God do something great in somebody else's life? Isn't that a really nice thing? You think we could ever get there? This is the American church, Brian. You be careful how you're preaching now. Americans don't like to hear that. We like to hear stamped in America. That means it's all about made in America. That's a sermon made in America. Well, tonight we're going to see religious people of a zealous kind, religious people that loved God's word and loved God, that became in awe of what God was doing, and not just other Jewish lives, but in the lives of people they would not give the time of day to. For in truth, the Jews 2,000 years ago had no fellowship at all with the Gentile world. Historically, as we come to our text, God is working to overcome certain Christian Jewish prejudices towards the Gentile world, the idolatrous world, the the pagan world, a world that had no understanding of the one true God. They worship a host of deities. They, They had a pantheon of gods. There's the earth god, the moon god, the sun god, the river god, the bird god, the cloud god, the rock god, the river god. The fertility God. Any God you, you can make up a God. But the Jews had to find out that they did not have a monopoly on the one true God. God loved all people, all the same. And they had to catch up with what God was doing. These religious prejudices that unfortunately still carried over into the Christian age was there due to the law of Moses. The law of Moses had its purpose for 1,600 years, but now it is over and God is doing a brand new thing as he promised in the Old Testament prophets, as he promised with the Son of God himself. And they had to catch up to what God was doing. They weren't doing a good job of it. Peter wasn't doing a good job of it. We just went over that for four weeks. But God in his kindness... And I don't want you to miss this. In his forbearance, he wins these Jewish Christians' hearts over. He doesn't give up on us because we're not catching up with him. He doesn't want to leave us out of the picture. It's God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom of God. Just because we're slow of heart to learn, and aren't we? God doesn't give up on us. That's good news. You should be applauding right now. You should be worshiping God. You should be saying hallelujah. Thank goodness he doesn't give up on us so quickly. Matter of fact, God does, can't give up on us. He won't give up on us. And if he has to, he'll chase you out in the middle of the night, wrestle you to the ground until you wake up. That's who God is. 
He doesn't condemn them, but he patiently wins these people over. The gospel has to go to the rest of the known world. God made a promise to the world through Abraham, and he witnessed it by Christ. Cornelius and his household, what we just read about in chapter 10 for a month, represent the whole Gentile world. These are the first fruits of the promise to Abraham that good news and blessing would come to all the nations of the world. It's happening right here in chapter 10. You see that nowhere in the whole Bible. 1,000... 187 chapters and now finally the promise through Abraham or to Abraham that all the nations of the world will be blessed finally comes to fruition you can read chapter 10 and miss that it's happening it's happening right before our eyes God is fulfilling a promise and they cannot see it And the way God orchestrates the whole thing is a testament to his sovereign power and wisdom to accomplish his plans. It reminds me of the story Jesus says, my father is at work always and so am I. We get up, we go to work tomorrow. I'm sure you got your plans for the rest of the night. You got your dinner plans. You got, you may be getting ready for work this week. You know what you're going to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know what you're going to do next weekend. You're looking forward to your vacation. Guess what? You're looking forward to your, your retirement. You're saving up for something. Understand something. Sometimes it looks like God's doing nothing. Can I tell you, God is actively at work fulfilling his plans. And he allows us to see it. And to rejoice in it. I'll speak a little bit about that in application. But let's go to our text. Let's go to Act 5, Scene 1. I'm going to read verse 1 from chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles, the pagan world, has also received... The word of God. Before Peter arrives back home base to where ministry was, where his ministry tour began, he's probably two or three months outside of Jerusalem. He's been on a tour. He went to Samaria. He went to Judah. Now he's at to the farthest edges of the world. He's bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. He finally gets home. But guess what got to Jerusalem before Peter? News. That he was fellowshipping with the Gentiles. The great testimony of the Je- that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world has finally gone to the Gentiles. And it gets back to Jerusalem. Peter finally comes in after maybe two, three, four months, some scholars say. And in verse 2 it says this, t- verse 2 and 3. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. Among those at the home church in Jerusalem were a certain group known as the circumcision party. They were traditionalists. They believed in Christ, but they could not let go of Moses. They were genuine believers. They were genuine converts who ignorantly put the Old Testament law of Moses before the work of the Holy Spirit. 
It was ignorance. This is a classic case of what Jesus says you should never do. You never put new wine into old wineskins. You're going to ruin both things. The Jews were trying to live in the spirit with the new wine and the full free work of Christ at the cross and hang on to Moses at the same time. Guess what? You can't do it. Sooner or later, you're going to bust. Nevertheless, they love Christ. And God is patient with their ignorance. And this week, as I thought about that, I just thought about my own ignorance in so many areas of life. Of how patient God is with me. And how patient I have to be with all people. How dare me? I'm speaking from the first person. How dare me not be patient with human beings? How dare me not be patient with another Christian? Who am I? As though God's finished with other people? As though I'm the, I'm the last great work of his hands? That God's work stops here? Don't need to go any further, God? And I have to sit on this and I think about this. And I'm just so grateful of how genuinely patient God is in our ignorance and still kind to us all at the same time. He was to this crew. But even though they heard that the Gentiles received the gospel and there was a little bit of hope, they liked that, they seem only to focus that Peter ate with the Gentiles. They're missing the big picture. They're caught up. They see what they're doing. They're, they're, they're straining the gnat and eating the camel. They're focused on the minutiae, on little bits and pieces of the Lord. And this is the big thing. Lives are changing. Get your eyes off of that. They're not, they're, he's eating with Gentiles. Lives are changing. God is doing a new thing in the whole world now. Catch up to God. People are falling in love with Jesus. They're leaving their sinful ways. They're leaving their sinful habits. They're leaving their idolatry. They're forsaken, renouncing all those other gods. Jehovah's on their mind. Jesus is on their hearts. Jesus is on their lips. Focus on that, but they can't. All they are is focused on Peter. We know they received the word. But we have this against you. You ate with Gentiles. You see, the word that Peter bring the gospel to Gentiles and that he was eating with Gentiles got back to Jerusalem three months before Peter did. So for four months, for two, three, four months, it fested in their hearts that Peter, an apostle, Peter, a Jew, was eating with Gentiles. They got a little bit of information and that's all they could think about. And the months went on and the weeks went on and the days went on and then Peter finally comes and they interrogate him. When you read it in the Greek tense, it's, it's they interrogated Peter. They haven't received a vision like Peter. That it was slow to learn from the scriptures. Jesus, God already said in the scriptures that the Gentiles will be saved. They can't see it. They're so bent up 
on one small infraction. See, that's what legalists do. That's what a religious person can do. And if we're not careful, if we are just a a sort of, uh, how can you say, uh, what have you done for me lately relationship, then what happens, all you can see are, are the infractions. Every little infraction. And you lose sight of the big picture of what God is doing. They lost sight of the big picture. They're caught up in one infraction. But Peter says this. He says this to their festering hearts, their suspicious hearts. Verse 4. But Peter began to explain it to them in order. So Peter begins to answer their inquiry with his vision. It seems they were familiar with certain bits of information. Never draw a conclusion on bits and pieces of what? They only got a little bit of the story and they drew a conclusion. But Peter now explains it to them from the horse's mouth. Peter starts reciting the events of what had taken place. I'm going to read it in verses 5 to 17. Listen to how Peter answers the traditionalists, the hard-headed traditionalists, starting in verse 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like the great sheet was descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common has ever or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered me a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened to me three times, and always drawn up again into heaven. He goes on to tell him, And behold, at the very moment, some strange thing happened. Three strange cats arrived from Caesarea, and they told me to come to their house. And the Spirit told me to go with them, because at that moment, I wasn't going to go with them. I didn't know what the vision was. I had prejudice in my heart. I knew they were Gentiles. I wasn't going to go with them, but the Spirit told me to go. Making no distinction. The Spirit said, make no distinction. Yeah, they're not Jews. And they don't look like you. They don't smell like you. They don't dress like you. They don't eat like you. But you go with them. They're not of your nation. They're not of your kind. They're not of your kindred. But you go with them. So guess what he did? He went. And when I went there, he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, send the joker and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. And as I began to speak, and just tell him the basic principles of Christ, without an altar call, without a drum roll, Without music, without singings, out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just like us at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord. How Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit.
So he draws this conclusion, Peter. He's summing up and explaining the whole experience. And he sums up this. He goes, you know, if then God gave them the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed the Pentecost, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Good conclusion, wouldn't you say? And all of a sudden, get this. The hostile, interrogative, traditionalist, legalist to the heart, when they heard these things, Peter's given a testimony. All of a sudden, you can see their countenance begin to change. He says, they fell silent. What a beautiful hush must have filled the room. There must have been an awkward lack of tension there for a moment. They fell silent. And listen, it says they glorified God. But that's Luke, the historian, filling in the blanks. This is how they glorify God. They said this, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Do you not know? When you recognize God is doing something, you're glorifying God. When we step back and say, not my will, but your will be done, guess what you're doing? You're glorifying God. Do you know when you step back and you don't look at the vessel and you have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying and you hear God giving a testimony of something wonderfully done in someone else's life and ministry and you're silent, guess what you're doing? You're glorifying God. You're listening. Pride is being silenced. And they're glorifying God in not just any way. They recognize that God had granted a pagan, idolatrous, hedonistic, drunken, vile people. He's granted them the gift of repentance that leads to life. He granted them to open up their eyes and to say, oh my God, I'm a sinner. I've been worshiping the wrong God. There's only one true God. My lifestyle has been hedonistic. My lifestyle has been offensive to God. And, and now I see it. And he's, he's allowing me to say I'm sorry. Amen. That's what they heard. They couldn't hear from the story because they were so fixated on one little broken law. You ate with the Gentiles. They didn't hear the whole story. I'm going to move right into application. These Jewish believers only heard part of the story. The part they heard loudest was that he was eating with the Gentiles. Though the text does not state how they heard it, how the information got back, or what spirit they said in. But they could have been told negatively by others. They could have said, oh yeah, Peter preached the word and they received it, but he ate with the Gentiles. Accusatory. You know, please hear me loud and clear. Be careful when anybody's telling you information about somebody else. Be careful. You know, as a young believer, I had to learn that. And you know, I don't want to hear that. You've got to stand up 
for your soul. And don't be contaminated by someone else's negative opinion about someone else. Especially another minister. Especially another ministry. As soon as someone starts speaking negatively about another minister or another ministry right away, even if what they're saying is right, you're wrong. Are you with me? That's so common in the Christian church. Sometimes I gotta say, you gotta be kidding me. You see, they heard something. In any case, we need to be careful of hearing a negative opinion from other people about other ministers and other ministries. You gotta be very careful of that. Especially when you're only hearing a part of the story. Gotta be careful of that. I have a good friend in the ministry, good man of God. I trust a brother with my life. But there's another brother, the third party, who came to this brother, me, and said, uh, by the way, so-and-so, my friend, did this. So, it wasn't moral, so it had nothing to do with morality. It was about ministering somewhere that probably up to that maybe was a bad choice, but it wasn't sin. And I said, all right, let me look into it. And I looked into it, and my friend said, you know something? It was a bad judgment call. I wish I didn't do it, and I'll never do it again. Case, uh, case closed. I went back to the first brother. I said, you know something? This is what happened. He goes, no, nah, I don't believe it. I said, no, but I spoke to him. I said, uh, you see, he had a preconceived idea. He heard something negative. He saw something negative. And for whatever reason, he didn't want to listen to sound pastoral reasoning. We have to be careful at all times. Two. This leads to the second application. They closely follows. Verse 3, he says, You went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Preconceived ideas are deadly to church life. Deadly. Jesus tells us, if you got something against a brother or a brother has something to you, go tell the brother or go tell the sister. Don't even tell the leadership. Don't tell the elder. Don't tell the pastor. Don't tell people at the coffee shop. You go and you speak to a brother or to sister. If the person doesn't hear you, then you bring a couple of witnesses. And if they don't hear you then, then you bring it before the whole church. There's a proper protocol in Christianity of dealing with our pet peeves and our dirty laundry and our inner attitudes. There's a proper protocol because this stuff is deadly to the church. It's deadly. Deadly to friendships. Deadly to the bowling team, to the baseball team, the hockey team, whatever it makes no difference. Wherever groups of people congregate together, this kind of stuff is poison. Three. When leaders are doing something that could be taken wrong, wisdom says, take witnesses. You see, when Peter was called to go into a Jewish home and to fellowship with them, guess what he did? He brought six six Jewish converts, six Jewish brothers, Christian brothers with him. 
he knew this could be sort of an awkward ministry going on over here. And how we have to be very, very careful on how we do things. How things can be perceived from the outside world. When I counsel a woman, I counsel a woman in the back, I always have a brother outside the door all the time. Because you, you just don't do that. You don't put the woman in an awkward position, you don't put the pastor in an awkward position, and you don't put the church in an awkward position. There's a proper protocol on how you do ministry. I got a call one day, Brian, guess who I saw at the bar? You know the first thing I said? What were you doing there? <laughs> first thing I said, God gave me a word of wisdom. Honestly. So I heard where it was going, you hear the voice. I said, what were you doing there? Uh, da, 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 da. I was walking by, I said, no, no. You go tell the brother if you think there's something wrong. Don't tell me. None of my business. He walks closely with God. God will take care of him. Amen. The fourth thing. In awe. They were in awe. They, they received the news. They, they were micromanaging the law of Moses over Peter's life. They superimposed the law of, uh, of Moses on Peter's life. Just like we can superimpose our laws on people's lives. They're not living up to my standards. So I superimposed the way I would do something on someone else. No one's guilty of that? No one's guilty of that, right? You know who's guilty of that? Parents. Parents could be guilty of that. Husbands and wives could be guilty of that. Superimposing what we think they should do. How our children should act or how our spouses should act. And when you break that law of personal, my personal laws that man you're going to get. You can break the law of God, I don't care. Just don't break my law. But what happened when it was explained to them in proper order, because they only got bits and pieces of information, but when they heard the truth and how God was working in someone else's heart, they stepped back and glorified God. You know what breaks my heart? Probably one of the greatest joys in this man's life. It keeps me going. There's no greater joy than watching the Holy Spirit transform someone else's life. There is no greater joy. That's why John said, that's why I'm here. Guess what? We don't get paid a lot of money. We're not here for the money. Trust me. A life coming to Christ. And do you know what Jesus told the disciples after he raised Lazarus from the dead? Go take the dead. The dead clothes off him. The burial clothes off him. That was their job. And when a saint gets saved, when a sinner gets saved, it's our job to minister to them. And we take those wrappings off them and they, they change them. They start to dress different and look different and talk different. And the world starts to grow as we sung strangely dim. And all of a sudden you hear these new convictions and they're living a different life. Not because you told them to. Not because you, this is the new law, you've got to live this way. No. You just feed them Christ. Just slowly feed them Christ. And you pray with them and you mourn with them and you cry with them and, and you laugh with them. And, and over the period of months and years, guess what? They start to change. And you're like, praise God. You know something? Few Christians enjoy that. I think few Christians really enjoy watching somebody else get drawn close to God 
watch God do something else in somebody else's life. And I mean that. I love you guys. I love my church. I want you to enjoy what God's doing in other people's lives. I got to brag on God. Can I brag on God? How would you like to see a miracle? How would you like to see a miracle? I mean, a genuine miracle. What would you think a miracle looks like? Sister Lorraine. How are you, Sister Lorraine? She doesn't mind sharing a testimony. Five years ago, came to this building, strung out, on drugs, looking for the AA meeting. She never made it to the AA meeting. She came here. Never picked up a drug again. Because she heard the word of God. But people will walk right by her. And not see the miracle. People won't spend two minutes with her. To find out who she is. What God has done. That you're my sister now in Christ. Tell me, what was it like? What... How do we do that? How do we walk by each other? How do we walk by... This room is represented with miracle after miracle after miracle. Listen to this. Have coffee with somebody. Ask them, how did you come to Christ? Enjoy the work of God in someone else's life. Please wake up from your slumber. Please hear the pastor's heart. Wake up from your slumber and watch what God is doing in other people's lives. Guess what? I'll get a little therapeutic now. I hate getting therapeutic. But your life will be better. Fifth one. The whole inquiry stopped when Peter quoted Jesus. Once Peter quoted Jesus clearly and explained, then I remembered what the Lord said. John baptized with water, but I'll baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Do you know how unnerving it is to me when I'm speaking to somebody and something clears up and you bring them to the text of scripture that explains everything and they still won't listen What do you do to a Christian that does not want to hear what Jesus has to say about the life? What do you do? Once you come to a text in your own life and it says, Jesus says, guess what? It's it. Stop questioning, stop rationalizing, stop justifying. Jesus says. To the Christian, there is no higher authority than the Bible, of course. But specifically, Jesus said. And then there's this personal revelation that I love. Peter sums the whole thing up. Who am I to stand in God's way? I didn't want to go there. Listen, I'm a Jew. I knew that. I don't, I don't eat uncommon food. I don't eat unlawful food. I don't even fellowship with unlawful people who eat that kind of food. Who am I to get in the way of God? You know something? 
You know how careful we have to be of ever hindering a believer's life? We have to be so careful on how we speak to another believer, how we live in the presence of another believer. The last thing we want to do, as Paul says, is cause the weaker brother to stumble. To hinder the work of God in someone else's life. You and I should be nothing but encouraging to each other. We have to make sure, are you ready? That the high watermark of Christian life isn't your personal faith or obedience, it's the scriptures. Sometimes we think, well, you know, God never did that for me, so I guess he'll never do that for you. Or I was at a Bible study one day, and I was about three years old in the Lord, maybe four years old in the Lord. It was a men's Bible study, and God had just did a great thing in me. Pornography fell off, lust fell off, all, all the ungodliness of lust just fell off, and I was living free. I was free. And a young man said, and I wasn't the leader of the meeting, I was just there, I was attending, and a young man says, you know, I'm struggling with this, and, and, and the guy jumped up, the leader, and he said, he goes, well, we all struggle. And he says, even Paul struggled. And I was a young believer, so I didn't know it was my place to speak, but I knew that was wrong. He said, when someone's struggling, you don't tell them you're struggling. And you don't tell them Paul was struggling. You point them to Jesus, and he's your salvation. You see what he did that day? He hindered that young man. That young man was saying, well, I guess I just have to live with this yoke of slavery all my life. As I go to an AA meeting and, and no one's sober. They're all drinking. You're there. You want to, I heard there's sober people here and they're having a keg party. And you come to the church and I, I want to get over the lust of the flesh. I, I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like what I'm thinking. I don't like what I'm looking at. And someone tells you, well, you know, guess what? We're all struggling. No, that doesn't help the sinner. They need to hear his life in Christ. Even if you don't have it at that moment, tell them about Jesus, not about your failure. Don't tell them Paul failed. That left such a deep mark in me that day. And there's a good chance that I had to go through that so I can preach the way I'm preaching on that subject now. We need to be careful because if I haven't grown in one area of my life, that I don't subject somebody else to it. Always point people to the high road in Christ. There's nothing God cannot do to you morally. Nothing. At all. You can stay abstinent, joyfully virtuous until God gives you a wife or until God gives you a husband. And it can take a year or a decade, but God can make you one happy new creation in Christ. Don't listen to the culture. Don't listen to other people. Don't listen to how other people dealt with it. Get away from them. Don't want to listen to it. Listen to what the scripture says. You can do all things through Christ who's in you. Don't stand in other people's way. We've got to be careful. When I see limitations in my own life and limitations in my own faith, that I don't subject other people to that. Because I myself haven't experienced it. If it's in the Bible, it's for all of us. Does that make sense? Yes. Last one. 
these traditionalists, these party of the circumcision that didn't have all their facts straight. They only had bits and pieces of information and they drew a conclusion on Peter that all he was there was there and partying with the Gentiles. He was eating with the Gentiles. There's, a, there's an assumption that you know he ate and drank with the, the Gentiles and did what the Gentiles do. Peter, like his God, was patient with them. Didn't take offense to their accusation. I'm glad he wasn't thin-skinned. I'm glad he could take the worst. And he hoped and gave the best. He didn't say, how dare you talk? I'm an apostle. I walked on water. I saw the rest. I healed the dead with my shadow. He could have said, didn't you read chapter 2? Don't you know what happened a couple of years ago? He didn't call upon his credentials. He didn't get super sensitive. He didn't get defensive. He gently told them the truth in love. And they received it. Too many times, I'll just use, I'll close with this. Doctrinal differences between Christians, and then the wars begin. Listen, if you believe you know the truth, and you have the truth, if someone sees something different, don't be offended by what they think about it. Walk them through the truth, as Peter spoke about what he knew about God. Spend time with people. Go the extra mile. Don't get in a theological argument. Show them Christ. Show them the patience and the kindness of Christ. Even if it takes a decade, two decades, three decades. Don't bombard people with the Bible or with scriptures. You've got to come to my church. You've got to believe my way. You might have the right way. And you might have the best theology. But we have to have the right heart at all times. And to be patient to lead people to the right path. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word, God. I thank you how much work you did in my life, how wonderful of a week I had sitting under the word of God. I thank you for the glorious times this week of repentance and reflection and contemplation and and, and how joyful I was to see how kind you are. And you reminded me of how kind you are to me personally and to the church through 2,000 years. You're so kind. Even in our ignorance, you don't take away your kindness from us, God. God, I thank you for always, always giving us another chance, no matter how many times we failed in any area of our life, Father God. I ask you to bless Sonship Ministries. I love this church. There's not a person in this room I haven't prayed for. There's not a person in this room I have not loved. I love these people. I love your sheep, God. And I ask you to bless your sheep. Show them your kindness and show them your goodness, oh God. Show them how much you want to help them in their life. And that the Holy Spirit is ready, able, and available to all those who adhere to the word of God. Jesus' name. Amen.